on this episode of Jeff Does Vegas. Las Vegas has always been a cyclical place. Like, you know, for a group of years, it'll be family driven. And then the next five to seven years, it'll be all club driven. And next thing you know, all kids come in, you know, 21 to 35, they all go to clubs. And now you're seeing a giant shift towards sports, which is we're in the next cyclical thing of Vegas, which now people are going to see the Golden Knights. People are going to see the the Raiders play at Allegiant Stadium. Las Vegas. It's more than just a city. It's a feeling. It's that feeling of excitement when you spot the lights of the strip out the airplane window. It's that feeling of awe as you stroll down the boulevard, taking in the sights and sounds. And it's that feeling of satisfaction knowing that you're in the greatest city in the world. Over 42 million people from around the world share that feeling every year. And I'm one of them. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is Jeff Does Vegas. Welcome to episode number 149 of Jeff Does Vegas. Before we get into it for this episode of the podcast, I want to thank everyone who took the time to check out the last episode, another world-famous Jeff Does Vegas trip report. This time around, we recap my last trip to Vegas back in early March. I reviewed my stay at the Luxor, talked about some of the amazing meals I had, including our Mayfair Supper Club experience, and shared some tips and tricks for anyone else thinking about attending a convention in Las Vegas. If you haven't listened as of yet, jump into the archives at jeffdoesvegas.com and check out episode number 148, The March Trip Report, or search it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. In years past, the Las Vegas Strip was jammed full of a combination of large-scale productions like Cirque du Soleil and big Broadway musicals, along with a mixture of mid-level shows like The Bronx Wanderers, Tenors of Rock, and Legends in Concert, with the odd big-time residency tossed in, like Celine Dion or Cher at the Coliseum at Caesars Palace. And of course, who could forget about the various casino lounges and the incredible live music emanating from them every night? But as you may have heard me talk about in past episodes or even noticed yourself on your own Vegas vacations, the Strip has gone through a big shift when it comes to entertainment. Those large-scale productions are struggling. The mid-level shows have either moved off the Strip or shut down entirely. The casino lounges have gone silent if they haven't already been replaced by a sports book or a high roller room. And Las Vegas Boulevard is now littered with artists hosting high-priced monthly residencies at every major resort. But what's behind this evolution? To get the answer, I decided to go to an insider. Making his third appearance on the podcast is Vincent John from the Bronx Wanderers, who've been caught up in all of these changes over the last few years. Vincent and I have had many, many offline discussions about the state of entertainment in Las Vegas, and we thought it was time for him to come on the show to have a conversation on the record. We connected at the Luxor during my last trip to Vegas and had a frank discussion about everything from the rise of big-time residencies to the costs associated with producing a Vegas show to the effect sports is having on entertainment and much more. Please enjoy my conversation with Vincent John from the Bronx Wanderers. Las Vegas has always been a cyclical place. Like, you know, for a group of years, it'll be family driven. And then the next five to seven years, it'll be all club driven. And next thing you know, all kids come in, you know, 21 to 35, they all go to clubs. 
And now you're seeing a giant shift towards sports, which is we're in the next cyclical thing of Vegas, which now people are going to see the Golden Knights. People are going to see the, the Raiders play at Allegiant Stadium. Uh, when I came out here in 2016, there weren't any headliners out here. You didn't have Bruno Mars and Katy Perry and Luke Bryan and all these people every night. All you had were the mainstays at Caesars, which were, you know, Elton John, Cher, you know, your usual Rod Stewart, your usual people. So people would go and spend money on, say, Elton John one night, and then the next night they have a little bit of money left over. Not a lot to spend 500 to see Elton John again, but maybe we'll take a shot on Bronx Wanderers. Maybe we'll take a shot on Tenors of Rock. Oh, maybe we'll take a shot on this Meatloaf musical. Now we're at a time where ticket prices are so ridiculously overpriced that people don't have that extra income to go to that smaller show the next day. You know, now they're spending $800 to go see Bruno Mars and maybe they'll spend 300 to go to a Golden Knights game. So you're seeing a lot of these shows, smaller shows kind of cycle out. And it's a sad thing because a lot of the rooms out here, like say, for instance, you brought up Bat Out of Hell, that's, that's like a 1,400 seat room you know, on a good night, they were selling maybe one to 200 tickets. I mean, you need smaller rooms out here. But at the same token, people aren't going to go see a smaller show when they have the option to see Bruno Mars, mm-hmm. Katy Perry. This has now become a tour destination. Look at the uh, giant Madison Cube that's going to be out here. The, ma- the yeah. Sphere, I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. Madison Square Garden. <laughs> you know, you got to love it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, that's going to be twenty thousand people a night, yeah. and you too is going to headline that this year. Mm-hmm. So imagine how much Live Nation is going to be charging for those tickets. So it's in a state of flux. It always has been in a state of flux. I'm lucky that I moved down to a hotel at the South Point, where they're packed Monday through Monday every night with my demographic that goes and sees a Bronx Wanderer show. Right. So I'm I'm lucky that I'm a I'm only doing three days a month now. I'm no longer doing. 27 days a month Mm -hmm. which again once you limit the supply you increase demand yeah so all these shows are learning i mean look at awakening right now that's the new show that just opened out of the win they're now offering payment plan options for tickets yeah where instead of spending 150 dollars at once you can do 10 dollars a month so now imagine spending 10 dollars a month you see a show you don't like that show the next 10 months you're still paying for a show you didn't like You know, I never thought I'd see the day I'd see that. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. So I'm as flabbergasted as to where this town is going to, but I'm going to say this. It's sports, online betting, and giant headliners. Mm -hmm. That's where it's going. Are are some of these smaller shows, are they... Are they being pushed out or are they doing this on their own? Are they making these decisions or is it a, a combination of the two to, to this is survival. This is what we have to do. A lot of the shows, I mean, look, if anybody could stay and make money and be in one place, it's a win. But I mean, you know, I have friends like Queens of Rock and MJ Evolution. A lot of the shows were at that theater mosaic. Mm-hmm. The theater itself closed down and all those shows in that room were spectacular. And they're all looking at me going, you know, how do we get into a Tropicana or a Westgate or, or, or a mainstay hotel? And I look at them and go, the amount of money you're going to spend on Vegas.com, the amount of money you're going to spend on marketing, mm-hmm. the amount of money you're going to spend on labor and the union. I mean, before you even make a dollar, you've lost $15,000 that week. Yeah. And if you're selling anywhere from 20 to 60 tickets, you're going to, you can't float. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm better than any one of them. That's why, like, I'm no longer doing Westgate because while Bronx Warners were there for 14 months, 
we lost some weeks. We made a little money some weeks. We were even some weeks. But it it's not a money-making model. Mm-hmm. It's not. The hotels have basically turned into landlords where they no longer get behind the show. You no longer have a thing where, oh, okay, Bronx Wonders, you're going to bring in 100 people. Let's support you. But then those 100 people are going to go to one of our restaurants. Mm-hmm. Those 100 people are going to gamble at our place. Those people are going to, you know, maybe go see Barry Manilow. It's no longer every department's counting on everybody. Mm-hmm. Entertainment only cares about entertainment. Food and beverage only cares about food and beverage. Yeah. And that's why South Point, I feel like, is the last hotel that does it right, where entertainment will lose $10,000 that month, but they, but they pay me a flat-out check. I don't go there and have to pay for anything. Right. Because they look at me and go, well, you're bringing in 400 people that are going to eat at our restaurant, that are going to drink at our bars, that are going to gamble at our slot machines. So everybody wins in that scenario. And that's why Human Nature's there. The Righteous Brothers are there. We're there. And I feel like that is the future. This whole 26 days a month thing is going to be a thing of the past because if shows aren't going to be able to afford the union, they're not going to be able to afford the marketing costs. You can't anymore. If a hotel isn't going to get the marketing, why should the shows have to take care of the marketing? Okay, if you're going to make us take care of the marketing, give us a piece of the bar. And then they look at us and go, no. So then we have to look at them and go, then we're not coming. If you're not going to be there and help us, why are we going to bring people in to lose money and help you? It's interesting you mentioned those shows like yourselves, Righteous Brothers, Human Nature. Yeah. Those are all shows that all headlined on the strip. I mean, Human Nature was how many years at the Venetian? They were uh, maybe 10, 8 to 10. They were there a long time. Yeah, Righteous Brothers yeah. played for a very long time. They were at uh, they were at Harris for, I think they were for at quite Harris a while. For a long time, yeah. And you guys bounced between Harris and the Link and, and I, I opened mean, at Harris February of 2020. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of good that did me. Yeah. When a month later the <laughs> pandemic hit and I was on unemployment. <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, Westgate was so kind to us. They picked us up and had never even saw our show. Yeah. And they just picked it up based on word of mouth. Yeah. But it was a thing where we just, we weren't making money and we were working far too much. Right. Far too much. Again, we were, I'm salaried, so I made my money, but my producers were losing tons of money. Yeah. And now everybody kind of just gave the finger to the strip and said, okay, if you're not going to take care of anybody, we're going to go where people take care of us. Mm-hmm. And South Point is, in my opinion, the only hotel that's doing it right. It was really interesting. There was that period back, it was shortly after things started reopening when I, I kind of called it the day the music died, when when all those Caesars properties shit-canned all of those shows mm-hmm. and decided they were going to put in gaming or sports books in yep. some of those places and closing down live venues, like shutting down Cleopatra's Barge yep. at Caesars Palace seems mm-hmm. like a massive failure to me um closing the uh le cabaret at at the paris like again like none of this made any sense to me that was always one of our favorite things when my wife and i would come to vegas is we could do that you know wander through the 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 casinos and pop into all these places and hear live music or go and see some of the smaller shows because we don't necessarily have 500 bucks to drop on bruno mars or aerosmith or Katy perry or whatever And we could go and see performances that we thought were every bit as good as those. Because the locals are. They yeah. are just as good as the people in those giant theaters. You're right. But the thing is, they're not making any money in those places. So the bar will make some money, but I know that they're turning Cleopatra's Barge into a, into a high roller room. 
because that's where they're going to make their money. And you're seeing this, like you said, a phase out of lounges. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that become a thing of the past. Because even look at my generation. I'm 35 years old. When we get off a plane, do you do I do my people want to go and see a show? No, they want to go to a bar. They want to go to Vanderpump. Right. They want to go to Omnia. They want to go to a club. They want, and I'm talking about my people. I'm old, um, and I'm talking about the people that are 21 to 34 that are younger. None of them are going to go to see Bad Out of Hell. None of them are going to see Bronx Wanderers. Nobody's going to see a random show they've never heard of. They're going to go see a DJ that's number one on the charts, like Aoki or da 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 da. Yeah, you're going to see a giant shift, and I'm hoping that, like you said, people like you and your awesome wife that come to this town that want to see an experience and see what the local scene is about. And see these things. The more that these things go away, I wonder if it's going to affect the bottom line of these giant corporations. Because like you said, a lot of people don't have $400 for a Bruno Mars ticket. Yeah. I, I don't have money for a Bruno Mars ticket. You know, I don't have money to, to see, you know, a Golden Knights for $280 for three people. I don't, you know. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of money. But again, look at the hilarity of it. Highest inflation ever, and casinos are reporting the most revenue ever from gambling. Yeah. I think it's in the billions of dollars a month. So they're looking at it going, we don't need entertainment. Mm -hmm. If we just get all these people to come and keep gambling, we're making far more than we could ever make off entertainment. I'm, I'm not even going to say names, but I was talking to a major executive at one of the giant uh, corporate brands, and he said, if it were up to me, I would get rid of all my entertainment and turn every single room into a sports betting, high limit poker room because we make 50 times the money. Yeah. And you just look at him and go, wow. Because again, as a corporate, as a guy that went to school for business, I get it. You need to make money. That sure. is your job. You have shareholders. You got to make money. But as somebody like you and me who comes to this town and wants to see somebody amazing locally play at the barge, some amazing little show like Tenors of Rock or Bronx Wonders play. It's getting phased out. Yeah. And I have no idea where the future is going to be. How sustainable do you think those big centers and those big theaters are? I mean, just throwing out numbers, like you got Park MGM and the Dolby, that's 6,400 seats. Resorts World is 4,000 plus seats. Fountain Blue, if and when that place ever opens, their theater <laughs> is going to be 3,000 seats. And you mentioned the MSG Sphere. I mean, that's 18,000 seats. A $2 billion venue, and the last article I read about that place, other than you 2 they're talking about showing movies in there. Yeah, so they I'm, need to to make a profit. I'm, I'm laughing yeah. going, okay, so you've got the world's only $2 billion, 18,000-seat movie theater. Mm -hmm. Like, fantastic. But, I mean, how how sustainable, as an entertainer in this, this place, that in this city, that's kind of watched things go through the cycle, how sustainable do you think that actually is? <sighs> If, you're, if you look at people like Bruno Mars, I mean, that guy will always sell out. It's Bruno Mars. Yeah. So, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll always kill it. As far as the sphere goes, you two, yeah, they're going to totally sell out that opening. But again, it's like you said, how many headliners can sell out a 20,000-seat venue? Or I don't, yeah. I don't even know how many seats that is. It might even be more. Yeah. You know, I, I don't remember my figures. But sustainable, when you look at all the Cirque shows, they're all under one umbrella. Right. So, oh, and... Mystere and Love, all of them are owned by the same company. So let's say two of those shows are failing and they suck. That was a bad word, suck. I rephrase. Let me rephrase <laughs> that. Like you have two shows not selling so well. Sure. 
CEO that's doing two shows a day and selling out every single day is going to make up for the losses in those other five shows that aren't. Right. Same thing with all the ex-burlesque, ex-country, ex-rocks, da-da-da-da-da. If you have one show that's doing bad and you have one that's doing great, one can sustain the other four. Mm-hmm. Now, but when you have one standalone show, like, say, Bronx Water Center's a rock, if you're not doing good, you're not doing good. Right. You don't have anybody else to sustain you. Mm-hmm. So, as far as all these giant venues go, it's a matter of the demographic of people that are coming here. I mean, I know the Bronx Wander demographic. They don't want to go to the Strip anymore. They don't want to pay for parking. They don't want to deal with all the little girls in the skimpy skirts drunk falling on themselves, you know, and going to the clubs at night. They'd rather stay at a Westgate or a South Point. They want to be away from the madness. So Mm -hmm. I know where I'm at demographically. I'm in the right spot. But as far as being on the Strip, I mean, it's going to be a headliner town, like I said. Are they going to sustain Bruno Mars? Absolutely. Katy Perry? Totally. I'll tell you this. When Aerosmith is here, I had five different companies reach out to me going, do you want a free ticket to go see Aerosmith? I said, free? <laughs> they go, yeah, they need to fill the room. You yeah. know? So if you can come and just you know, be a guy at Aerosmith. I'm like, dude, it's Aerosmith. Right. They're like, yeah, but they're here two weeks every single night. And when you're competing with Bruno Mars, Katy Perry, da 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 da, is Aerosmith gonna sell out every night? Probably, maybe not. I just, I wonder about the saturation of the market as far as these large venues go, even Mm -hmm. too, because you're now getting into a situation where you've got T-Mobile Arena that again is is an eighteen or nineteen thousand seat venue for a concert. Yeah, MS competing with MSG Sphere, which is nineteen thousand now doing yeah, Allegiant Stadium is sixty thousand people. You've got MGM Grand Garden, you've got the Mandalay Bay Center, and now you're getting into these theaters. So that's the thing. If all these thousands, if all these people start going to those shows, you're going to see all the lounges, like you said, closing. You're going to see all the smaller two to three hundred seat shows closing because people aren't going to. Those 100,000 seats are going to be sucked up by every other giant venue that you said. And that's where it's going to head. And that's where the corporate people are pushing it. Because why do we care about a $45 to $80 ticket in a 300-seat room when we can get a $450 ticket or a $2,000 ticket to see Adele? Yeah. Why are we going to care about a Tate Face or a Bronx Wanderer? Why are we going to care? And that's it. Why worry about 300 seats when you can sell 18,000 at 10 times the price? Yeah. Boom, corporate. And that's why 20, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when the mob ran the joint, everything was free. They saw it as everybody wins. The bar wins. The person wins. The band wins. Because everybody won. Yeah. Now it's every man for himself. I want to talk about the cost to run a show because I think people, they see the faces on the billboards and they think, that's cool. Those guys have got to be making bank because they're they're doing a show. They're headlining in Vegas. Yeah. They're they're thirty feet tall on a billboard. Yeah, that's the illusion. That is the illusion. It's a city <laughs> of illusion. So I kind of want to break down the costs involved. So let's yeah. start with, I mean, who pays for what? Okay. So for us, for instance, we had producers. So we had a lovely couple. Uh, it was Gliss Entertainment. And they run Menopause the Musical at Harris, and they ran us. So let's just talk about Harris for a minute. When you work in Harris, there's a union there, and that means the person that sets up my equipment, opens the curtain, triggers, does, does the lights, does the sound, da 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 da. Anytime you go into a room, there's a minimum of amount of people you have to pay. So in Harris, for instance, for me, I think it was four people. 
I automatically, no matter what, even if I only need two, I have to pay for four. And these people don't get paid a little amount of money. Right. They're getting paid very well. Right. I see the union out here for like technicians is, I'll tell you this, when I get fired from Bronx Wanderers, that's the first place I'm going to get a job. <laughs> because these guys have a great living doing what they do. And the hotel doesn't pay for them. The shows do. So I have to pay for four union guys. Another funny thing at Harris is you automatically have to pay for 10 shows a week. So even if Bronx Wanderers is only doing six shows a week, they're getting paid for an extra four shows doing nothing. So you're paying four guys for a minimum of 10 shows. And four of the shows, they do nothing. So right off the bat, I'm losing $10,000 a week. Right. Now, the hotel doesn't take care of marketing, or I think Caesars maybe matches you. So whatever you put in, like, say it's six or 8000 they'll they'll match you on that, which is that giant billboard, like you said, where I'm 30 feet in the air, and wow, that guy's a millionaire. <laughs> Not. <laughs> so marketing, for instance, we have to pay Vegas.com every week, which that's where people get their tickets. That's that's twenty-five dollars to $4,500 a month, just that one website. Yeah. We have to pay. And then back in the day, used to be other websites, tickets for tonight, da-da-da-da-da. Now you're seeing all those ticket sales go down. Now I have to pay the room rental. I have to rent the room out from Harris. See, and that, that's the craziest <laughs> thing that I have heard in ever hey, is that the room. you are, as the performer yeah. with the face on the billboard that you're paying to have the face on the billboard, mm -hmm. you are then also paying for the room. Yeah. It's baffling. It's baffling. I'm in there bringing people into your hotel. They're watching a great show, and they're going to hang in your hotel, and yet I'm paying for the privilege to be there. So now, we haven't even talked about the band getting paid yet. A break, I mean, you're talking about fifteen to 17000 a week in expenses before anybody gets paid. It's ludicrous. It's completely ludicrous. All these casinos have turned in to landlords. That's really what it is. They don't care about entertainment. You come in, you bring in a show, and another giant thing about this is, you know, we're getting into technical stuff now, but there was this giant grant called the SVOG grant, which the government gave out to every single show in town if you filled out a 50-page grant. Right. For instance, uh, Chris Angel got $10 million. That's how he was able to open a Mystica, that other show that he did, that failed. Bad Out of Hell was one of those things where they got a lot of that money, and right. the minute January 1st hit, that money was gone, boom, that show was gone. Mm -hmm. My show is no different. My producers received, you know, a, a lot of money from that grant because I think you got 40% of your 2019 gross okay. handed to you. But you had to use that money on the show. Sure. So that paid for our entire year at Westgate and everything. But the minute that money ran out, it's like, okay, you're going to go back to losing money. Yeah. And that's why you saw like 10 shows close this year. You saw Legends, Legends close this year. You saw Bad yeah. Out of Hell. You saw uh, A Mystica. You saw all these shows close. And you're going to see a lot more. I mean, people think you come to this town, you open a show, and you're going to make a million dollars. That was true 30 years ago. Yeah. It's no longer the case. You know, I tell people when they look at me and go, you know, I really want to get a show out there. I go, well, first of all, you need $300,000 to lose, and you need to be willing to not sell one ticket for six months. I don't care how good you are, mm -hmm. but because you're competing with 215 other shows a day. Right. So you need marketing ramming people, you know, eight times a day, seven months straight, and you're going to lose money. And they look at me and go, are you, are you kidding? I go, no. I go, I've been out here seven years. No. 
That first year, we were lucky because there were no headliners out here. Jersey Boys just closed. Bruno Mars wasn't here. I was in the same room as Wayne Newton. Wayne Newton was promoting my show every night in his show. I mean, we were killing it those first two years. And then when the town started changing, everybody's pay started going down. Yeah. You started to see the cost of everything going up. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I tell people, run. When they ask me to come here, I go, I go, go on the road and go make money. Don't come here. So, I mean, you're talking about people are looking at this and going, okay, yeah, you're saying you got to be able to sell these tickets and whatever. Well, how hard can that be? I mean, you get a room that's 400, uh, 400 people at a hundred bucks a pop. You're, you know, into 40 grand a night. I mean, how, how hard can that be? But I don't think people realize you're not selling 400 tickets a night and you're not selling them at full price because the casino of course is exactly. giving away comps and you guys are doing discount tickets through Absolutely. through vegas.com and those places fee, resort yeah. fee all this stuff so you know what a $60 ticket turns into a $94 ticket yeah so now you're looking at four people going to see a show for $90 that's $360 that's not even including the $20 drink that you have to buy right so it turns into a $550 night for four people now again why is south point killing it no resort fees, no ticket master fees. When it says Bronx Wanderers $45, guess how much my ticket is? $45. And we sold out every single night. Our, our opening was just February 28th to March 2nd, three nights a month. We sold yeah. 1,200 tickets. It's the most tickets I've sold in, I want to say, eight months in three days. Right. Because they're not looking to rip people off. There's no resort fees, there's no entertainment fee, there's no anything. You want to see Bronx Wanderers 45 bucks? 45 bucks. And guess how much drinks are there? $8 a drink. You want a drink? Sure, it's 6 bucks. You want a $5 beer? It's $5. I'm telling you, South Point is the last hotel that is doing it right, and that is why they're packed every single night. Mm -hmm. That is why. And, you're, and you know why? It's not run by a corporation. It's run by one guy. It's run by Michael Gaughan, who goes, you know what, if I lose a little bit of money over there, I'm going to make it in that department. If I lose a little bit there, I'll make it over there. As you say, that's, that's kind of the thing. It's the, the bigger the bigger hotels and the bigger resorts have got this mentality where it's every department for themselves yep. where yeah if gaming is doing great but entertainment is sucking mm -hmm. oh well we got to make some cuts in entertainment as opposed to as you say with somewhere like south point where it's all just basically all one umbrella yeah. yeah and they don't look at it like it's connected i have no idea where this town's gonna go i mean half my friends were in all the lounges playing and they went from playing six nights a week to now they're playing twice a month if they're lucky and, you know, it's like, how do we survive? Because it's not like we were making a lot of money to begin with. You yeah. know, it's, it's scary. After the break, we talk about the changes Bronx Wanderers have made to their show and the freedom afforded to them by moving off the strip. And Vincent shares his predictions on the future of Vegas entertainment. That's next on Jeff Does Vegas. Again, I'm, you know, I'm asking you to play fortune teller, but I mean, do you think, <laughs> do you think that that, that cycle is ever going to come back to that? I mean, it, it's, there's, I... people only have so much money. There's only so many of these acts that are capable of filling. I mean, yeah. how many days can Katy Perry do at Resorts World before people are like, you know what? I'm tired of Katy Perry and her giant toilet on stage. I, I'm 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 done with that. Like like how long how long before it's like no? I would like to see quality entertainment in an intimate well, venue. They're gonna they're gonna keep rotating people in and out. You know, Celine Dion was supposed to be playing at Resorts World, and she's dealing with their whole stiff back syndrome or, or whatever it is. But you know, they're always gonna rotate people out, and you got to look at the demographics. 
if you look at all the people going to Human Nature and Righteous Brothers and Bronx Wanderers, the average age is 65 to 95. Now you look at people coming to the strip like we're, we're at Luxor right now hanging out. All those people are 21 to 30 to 40. Are they gonna wanna go see Bronx Wanderers Human Nature? No, they're gonna wanna see somebody they like, which isn't gonna be a random show. It, it may be somebody from America's Got Talent, somebody that they do know. You know, like maybe Jabberwockies or something. Like I don't I don't know how they sell, but yeah. you know, or what's that show at Strat, Illuminate, where they just dance on stage with a bunch of lights on their clothes. Yeah. Okay, you know, that's that's cool for me for ten minutes. I don't know how you do ninety minutes of that, <laughs> right. but you know, okay. <laughs> you know, maybe this generation's into dancing. It's all about where it's gonna head with the next generation that's coming out here. All the older people that I play to have disposable income. How much money does that 23-year-old have over there to spend? They're gonna go and act like a baller at Omnia and buy a Tito's bottle of vodka for $800 and think they're cool. And that's to them, is living it up. Yeah. Are they gonna go see Matt Franco? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Let's spend $280 on a guy doing card tricks. I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't know what those people are going to want. I know that they're. I know that from 21 to 40, they're not going to want to be seeing Bronx Wanderers 20 years from now. Right. And that's why, luckily, our whole band's young. I'm going to change it up. I'll go into the 80s. I'll go into the 90s. I love doing Green Day. I yeah. just put a Green Day song into our show. I'm doing Time of Your Life with a string quartet. You know, because, wow, guess what? That was the last song on Seinfeld in that episode. So all the older people know it, all the younger people know it. You need to know how to hit the largest demographic you can hit. Yeah. You need to be able to play from people age 8 to 88. And when you look at a lot of my friends and you're playing just classic rock, that's only going to hit a certain piece of that pie. Same thing with, you know, with all the disco shows, you know, it's only going to hit a little sliver of the pie. When you see Bronx Wanderers, I'm playing that whole pie. Mm -hmm. I am doing at least two to three songs for every generation in that room. I'm getting the grandma, the daughter, and the grandkid all in one. Because I'm not just looking for the grandma right now who bought the tickets. I'm looking at her grandchild 20 years from now that hopefully is still going to spend money on buying a ticket to see my show. Right. And I hope a lot of people start picking up on what Bronx Wanderers are trying to do because that's what you need to do in order to survive. How many Michael Jackson shows are there here? Yeah. MJ Live, one. MJ Evolution's gonna be opening at the Orleans soon. Friends of mine worked at Orleans. You have five shows all doing the same thing. You got three BG shows all doing the same thing. You yeah. got seven classic rock shows all doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. You got Delilah and Mayfair all doing the same thing. You got Atomic Saloon and Opium and Absinthe all doing the same thing. Yeah. Everybody's doing the same thing. When is somebody going to fucking do something different? I am so waiting on the next artist or creative person to come out and go, dude, we just wrote Karen the Musical. It's all about this fucking bitch that just walk. I'm sorry, just curse. That just walks around it like the main song is I want to see the manager. Like, where is the hilarity new stuff? Yeah. Everybody's eight Cirque shows. Everybody's doing the same thing. I'm eagerly awaiting the next round of talented young people to come out and create that next thing. But do you That's think, what I'm waiting for. But do you think, though, let's let's use Karen the Musical as an example. Which, That's by my the way, idea. Which, and by if the anybody's way, would, listening to this podcast, <laughs> you can take this idea, but just give me a small stipend, you can have Karen the Musical. I, I would pay to see Karen Anybody the Musical. Anybody would, because I know, we I would. all deal with it. I, I would. But coming back then, Karen the Musical as a production... 
is an expensive show because now you've got Karen and the Karenettes and the Karen the Karenette dancers. Yeah, it depends. And you've got to pay the band. And you gotta I can make pay Karen the, the musical be a one-woman show. Yeah, I can be true. the guy in the back making all the tracks and there's no band. <laughs> like, for instance, why did Bat Out of Hell need a live band that played in a closet down the block that nobody saw? Why? I, and I'm a musician. I love that. And I know half the musicians. I love yeah. the fact that they got paid. Yeah. But why are you as a production going to pay a band that's not even seen on stage? Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. Unless they had to use all that SVOG grant money that they needed to use up before the year's out. I don't know. I wasn't in the show. I'm speculating. But, you know, Karen the Musical, again, you know, you ever see the, movie, uh, the show A Bronx Tale with Chaz Moe and Terry, the Broadway show? It's a one-man show. Yeah. John Leguizamo doing his shows on Broadway. It's one-man show. Murray, my friend, I love him. You know, one two-man show, him and Lefty. Yeah. Tape Face, one-man show with, with uh, Christina, a friend of mine. When you keep overhead down, you can survive. The minute you go into eight to ten people a night you got to pay, you're not going to survive. You're not. I don't care how good your show is. You're not. We saw uh, my wife and I saw Bat Out of Hell when we were here in December, and I'm I'm glad we did because I mean me I'm too. A, I saw them I'm, the, the I'm last a, week. I'm a meatloaf fanatic. I mean I Bat Out of Hell. Of course, course you're right, <laughs> Of course, of course you I am. Totally B- see you singing B- that. In the Bat show. Out of yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to see that. Um, <laughs> as soon as my wife and I went and saw that show, and we sat in the theater, and we went, okay, this is a 1500 seat theater mm-hmm. and there's 300 people in here yeah. and I'll bet you a hundred of them paid for tickets and there's 10 people on stage plus a band plus, plus 20 backgrounds answers plus a staff yeah, plus a lighting a crew huge yeah, dude, production no. and I just thought there's no, no way chance. that this can this is going to survive it, it had no it, chance no chance at all which is is too bad for for those for those shows and for this city <sighs> You know, and a lot of those people are my friends. And, you know, again, I tell people, this is why you need to create your own thing. You can't just keep jumping in these shows that, because these producers from out of town come and think you're going to open in a 1,400-seat room and sell 1,400 seats. Hmm. You know, this, and again, I've been in the same show for 19 years. I've never been in a different show because I write my own show. I produce my own show. I create my own show. I arrange my own show. I do... I am the show, along with my dad and my band. It's our show. When you go in there and you got a bunch of people going, well, we want to do this and this and that, I, being the loudmouth mother you, you know that I am, I would say, <laughs> guys, what the fuck are we doing paying a band to sit in a room doing nothing? If we're going to have a band, put them on stage, man. Call them, call them the rats of the sewer. Call them whatever the hell. Involve them in the show. Right. Like, make it exciting. Make it, if we're going to spend that money... Give me a reason why we're spending that money. But again, when you just go in there as an actor, you can't say that. Because you're auditioning, you don't know those people, you can't speak your mind. I'm sure Travis and Ann would have went to them and... Because they're smart, they, they know. Yeah, they get they're it. Not, they get it, they know. They could have went to them and said, dudes, what are we doing here? Yeah. What are we doing? And again, another... I'm not picking on that show. I thought it was so many talented people in that show. But how do you take a three-hour show and make it a 90-minute show and make it make sense? You, you can't. There was a lot cut out of that show. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was Peter Pan until the last 15, 20 minutes of the show. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't grow up or she didn't grow up. I was like, oh, I had no idea. But again, all talented people, you know, but this is the deal. All those casinos are going to take those people's money. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, Caesars made money off of having that show in that room because they made rent money. They made bar money. The hotel made money. 
The yeah. show made no money, but the hotel, you bet your ass, made money. And that is the evil of it. That's the nitty-gritty evil. Let's talk about the shows moving off the strip. As you mentioned, you guys have gone over to South Point, and there's lots of shows that are that are making that move. And you guys are also doing a lot of touring as well. That's a, a big oh, yeah, thing no, for we, you guys. We make nine times the money on the road that we do here. And you play to way more people. Yeah. Like, I'll go on the road, and I play to 2,000 people. I'm playing 1,000-seat joints, and it's selling out. And those are sold tickets. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go no, on. no, that's okay. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, and, and I mean, I assume, assume too, it's also... It's better for you guys health-wise, mentally, physically. I mean, yeah. I know when you and I have talked in the past before, I mean, you're like, I'm I'm killing myself eight nights a week for these shows, Why? and I eight to shows a to, week. To play to 80 people. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I was in a 200, what was it, Westgate? 200, I don't, I don't even remember how many it was. 200? It looked full with 100. But we were playing a 60 to 90 people a night. Yeah. And half the night, there were house seats, which they didn't even pay to be there. Right. They're paying house seats. They're not paying the production. Yeah. We don't see any of that money. Yeah. So again, everybody's getting my show technically for free. Yeah. And I, and I made a whole long post about this, and I got a lot of slapback from fans in town going, you know, well, we support the show. You know, we, we even though we're there, we're a seat filler. I go, yeah, you fill the seat, but you don't pay for anything. Right. You're not paying for my bass player, for my drummer. You're not paying for the union guy. Yeah. You're not paying for the marketing. You don't pay for anything. Mm -hmm. So the minute you have house seats and you suck out all that local money, and like you said, total rewards, Vegas.com, 50% off. How much money do you think these shows are actually bringing in with ticket sales? Nothing. Nothing. And then you look at South Point. How much money do you make per ticket? $45 a ticket. We, we, we literally make 45 a ticket. That's why we're able to pay you nine times your salary. Like, we're making bank at South Point because they get it. And that's what I'm hoping every person strives to go for. Again, a lot of my friends not doing shows on the ship. Where do they go? They're on. They're going to the ships. They're doing a lot of the uh, the cruise ships, and they they make great money there. Yeah. And they're playing a stacked two thousand seat room things. It's amazing, amazing, amazing the talent you get when you when you play in front of a room of people that want to be there, that paid to be there, that appreciate being there. You mm -hmm. know what it's like playing to eighty people that get there for free? They're the worst people to play for. <laughs> The worst. They suck. Yeah. I like at the end of it. I, I hated playing here. Towards the end, I was like, God, get me on the road, because when you when you're with people that actually pay to be there, they enjoy it. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of flat back from this interview because I'm knocking house seats. I I do think that company is bullshit. Yeah. And I will say that. And I think that company is destroying this town and it's sucking all the local money out of every local show. And you know why? Because people like Awakenings needs house seats. People like all the thousand seat theaters. They need seat fillers. But you know those two and 300 seat rooms? We don't need seat fillers. Mm -hmm. We need people that support the show. Yeah. God, this is what happens when you give me martini and you ask me <laughs> to do an interview. It's like I get, I get way too freaking real, man. But it's the truth, man. Somebody should say the damn truth. The tr you know what? The truth is like poetry. You hate poetry, but, but you need it. You need the truth. Yeah. And that's, and that's the God honest truth. How how much better, like I say, health-wise, are you now not doing eight shows a week or seven shows a week and, and absolutely killing yourself? I'm the happiest I've ever been. I'm playing in South Point to 400 people a night in town. Again, I'm making 
I don't even, I don't even gotta say the, the money, but the money's 10 times better than what it was. My sanity is back, I have a life again. I'm able to tour whenever, wherever I want. South Point is so cool about that. With Caesars, when I was there doing a residency, you know, 28 days a month, they only let you leave 30 days a year because, you, you, you know, we own you. South Point doesn't own me. They look at me and go, just give us three days a month, don't play anywhere else in Vegas. You can play anywhere else in the world. And again, support versus not support. It's really, that's really what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm the happiest I've been. I really am, and, and, and it kills me to see my friends not the happiest that they are and, and the most desperate that they are because like you said before in the interview, all the lounges are closing. All the little shows are closing. These are all my friends. These are all people that I love and look up to, people that are 10 times better than me, that deserve 10 times the audience and stages me. And it kills me to see where this is headed. But it's all about the dollar. And I mean, this is giving you a lot of time to work on your own stuff too. I yeah, mean, you've, you've been able to work on some music. I'm yeah, happy about. It made me eleven dollars. I can't yeah. say I can retire on it, but I'm very happy that, it came. That out. was my wife streaming it eleven times. That's <laughs> <laughs> you know, that just came out December twenty second. Yeah, and you could look it up at Vincent John on anywhere. And uh, again, though, I did a local show. I did my own show with my original music. You want to talk about a hard sell? Talk about original music. I mean, yeah. For six weeks, I worked on my show, and by the end of it, after paying everybody and selling one hundred and ten tickets, I made eighty five dollars. Right. Because I believe in paying my people fairly, paying them mm -hmm. for rehearsals, all that stuff. And I did that show at Notoriety. And Ken Henderson, being the amazing man that he is, he saw how much money I made at the end of it. We were laughing together. And I didn't bring it up in a mean way. I just said, do you see how much six weeks of work gets me? $85. He goes, dude, I feel so bad. The amount, you know, I did good on the bar. I'm going to pay for the sound man and the lighting guy. And he actually let me walk away with a decent, you know, three to $500 paycheck. Because that's just who he is. He's just a great guy. And you don't encounter a lot of great people like that in the business. You encounter a lot of people that are going to steal and take and take and take. And uh, original music, man, that's, that's another thing that I'm thinking, do I still do it? Do I not do it? I have the time to do it now. But again, is it worth the time to do it? I don't know. I might go work at a weed farm. I don't know. This just <laughs> seems like a lot more fun to me. You know, maybe I can just talk to plants all day and just make people happy getting them high i don't know i don't know but at the end of it i'm at 35 i'm in my midlife crisis am i doing this for myself am i doing it to make money i don't i don't know anymore yeah because i just bought a house it's it's not i'm not 23 any years old anymore it's not about oh i'm gonna be a rock star someday oh can't wait you know i'm lucky that i played t-mobile arena and got to open for bon jovi that yeah. was great thank you god for teasing me like that that it could happen yeah but here I am at 35 going, is that ever gonna happen again? I don't know. The only thing I know is this martini is damn good. <laughs> <That's all I laughs> um, and Bronx Wanderers, I mean, mm. you guys are doing so well. You've made some changes to the show. Yeah. You're evolving the show. You're bringing in some new stuff. Your dad is still kicking ass. I yeah. love your dad. Your dad <laughs> kills me. I mean, the last time- He kills me too, literally. The, the last time uh, we saw each other last, December, a year ago, December, Kim and I came to the show 
And after the show, I mean, that cracked me up. We started talking to your dad, and he's going <laughs> off about the family and stuff going on with your brother. And Kim and I are like, we it's feel real. Like we, we live our show. We feel like we're part of the family we, now. We live, just, we've been brought in. And that's in. our thing. You leave feeling like you're a part of the family, yeah. which is why we're sponsored by Prozac and Jack Daniels. <laughs> that's why we like to tell people that. But I mean, so the good thing with South Point is because we only do it three days a month, I now have time to create. We're like, this past month, we had a string quartet from the Las Vegas Youth Artist Orchestra come out and play with me. Very cool. And next month, I want to do something different every month. So next month, I'm going to have a horn section come out and do a really cool song with my dad. Awesome. And then the month after that, I'm thinking about having the UNLV marching band come out and do a song. I want to change it every month. I want to take the word residency and spin it on its head because I feel like everybody does the same show every time. And me being the little creative snob that I am I want to reinvent the game and I want to change it every damn month mm-hmm. I want to push ourselves to the brink I want to keep bringing the same people back that have seen my show and get new people in to see my show mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to grow this space and you're going to see two years from now everybody's going to start copying me and yeah. doing what I'm doing so that's always what happens but that's what we're going to do and I can't just sit back and go the show's done mm-hmm because once you do that, you're dead. It's over. And unfortunately, when we had residencies at Westgate and the link, you're strapped to those 400 lights hitting you are hitting that same song every night. You can't change the show because you got to pay a union to re-rehearse. you got to pay all these people to come in and do this. Guess what? Now at South Point, I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I finally have the creative freedom to grow the show. And that, to me, is the most exciting part of the year coming up for me. Love it. Absolutely I love, it love it. And I can't wait to have you come out. Yes. When we're here. I'm sorry that we're not playing when you're here, but you know, I'm enjoying my days off. Sorry, Jeff. That's deal with it. you know what? Everyone's <laughs> entitled to a day off. Every once in a while. I you didn't know. have one for for a good year. <laughs> for a good year. I wish you all the best, sir. I appreciate it, man. It's uh it's good to see you happy. It's good to see you guys healthy. Thank it's you. good to see you guys evolving and growing and being successful and it, it makes me really happy. I'm honored, man. I'm just honored to thank you for giving people like us a voice and to shine light on things that people don't necessarily know about the evil of the music business. And it is evil, but again, it's all for fun. We just want to make people happy. At the end of the day, you want to make people happy and have a lifestyle, just like you with your podcast. I mean, you're making people happy, entertaining people, and you want to make a living. That's all we in entertainment want to do. And until these corporate people understand that, Hopefully something will change a year, two years from now. I doubt it because I bet a year from now we're going to have a baseball team out here. We're going to have the Oakland A's out here, and that's going to suck 40,000 people out of the ticket sales. So, you know, let's let's all see where it goes. A year from now, you and I will sit down and have this same conversation Amen. again. I won't be in AA. I'll still have the same martini, so don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. I'm not a quitter. Vincent, love you, brother. I love you too, Jeff. Thanks for having me, pal. And that wraps up another episode of Jeff Does Vegas. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show, or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas. Or drop me an email directly at Jeff at JeffDoesVegas.com. In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit JeffDoesVegas.com for past episodes and show notes. 
My name is Jeff, and this has been Jeff Does Vegas, a Walker New Media production.